We've been in a, in a series the last several weeks called The Spirit-Filled Church. What does a Spirit-Filled Church look like? What are some evidences of a Spirit-Filled Church? What are, the, what are some aspects or what is a Spirit-Filled Church? What's the culture of it? Um, the last couple of weeks or last three weeks and then this week we're, we have been and we'll talk about the community life of a church in which the Spirit of God is working and it's not really, it, it kind of works both ways. Because on the one hand, these are evidences of God's work among us by His Spirit. And yet on the other hand, each one of these could be ways in which we cooperate and are obedient to God so that He might grant us His Holy Spirit in greater measure. So um, this week, it's, it's, it's similar to that. And uh, I want to encourage you, I hope you guys know that everything that is written in the scriptures for the believer is written for our good. It's written out of God's deep love for us. So whether it is a sweet promise, whether it is kind of a theological teaching or instruction, or whether it comes in the form of warning, God in his mercy, in in his passionate love for his people, gives us all that the scriptures say. Um, When we think about the early church and the community life or the fellowship of the early church, the word fellowship is used often in the New Testament and it's the the Greek word koinonia, which which is much more than potlucks and, and shooting the breeze over coffee about weekend plans. It would include that, but it's much more than that. It it's, it's a sharing in something. We see that in our text here in verse 14. It says it's a sharing in Christ. It is a participation, a sharing in Christ and his work and benefiting from Christ and his work together in fellowship and in community. And when you look through the book of Acts, you see something about these, these people that had perhaps nearly nothing in common prior to getting saved and the Holy Spirit coming upon them to dynamic community life where they were together. And it says in Acts, I think it's the end of Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. And and so that that whole, all those things were, were included in the community life of the early church. They devoted themselves. They were together. Other places... In the book of Acts, it says, day to day from house to house, they broke bread with glad hearts. Day to day, house to house, glad hearts, they were together. So the last few weeks, we've talked about community. We talk, uh, Reed talked on love and forgiveness, that, that that is an evidence of the Spirit's working among a people. And then uh, two weeks ago, yeah, two weeks ago, out of 1 John chapter 1, we talked about a spirit-filled community is one in which there's honesty, right? We walk in the light of honesty about who God is and about who we are and about our sins and confessing our sins and, and about our weaknesses and trusting in God's strength. And last week, Reed taught on um, the spirit-filled community is one that loves to be together. It's one where there's a passionate togetherness. This morning, here's where I want to go with this text. Here's what I think this text communicates. That Christian community, Christian fellowship, is a matter of life and death. 
Now, when I say that, you might think, now, now I, know, I know preachers exercise hyperbole to get people's attention. Is that what you're doing here? You're making an exaggerated statement. So hook, line, and sinker, right? Like I can, I can hook you in. Well, no. Christian community is a matter of life and death. The New Testament knows nothing about these Christians kind of out on their own, these two or this single guy out there on his own following Jesus. That's just outside of the realm of what the New Testament even talks about. There's just no such thing. Someone gets saved and they are they are immediately ushered into the church, the, the church of God universal, but then there's this togetherness with other Christians. And as we talked about in the last three weeks, we, we see for various reasons, but today I want us to, to see from this text that it really is a matter of life and death. Now, not physical life and death. There, there may be some health benefits to being part of a religious community. I don't know that for sure. There might be. But that's not what this text is talking about. It's not physical life and death. It's also not life in the sense of a cultural respect or of comfort and ease and things like that. Um, In fact, the book of Hebrews was written, the author wrote it to Christians who were experiencing social ostracism and uh, pushback because of their commitment to Christ, because of their identification with the church. So, in what sense is Christian community a matter of life and death? In a much deeper sense. An eternal sense. Your connection with other believers, not because it's convenient, not in some casual way where you kind of dip your toe in every once in a while, but your dynamic, intimate connection with other believers matters for you eternally. Our text says this, that God keeps Christians saved. He keeps them saved through their active, serious engagement in Christian community. And apart from that, we run the risk of falling away from God. Apart from active, serious engagement in Christian community, we are in serious danger of shipwrecking our faith. And I want you to get this, and perishing forever. So here's the structure of the text, okay? I want to give you a clear direction of where I'm going today. The structure of the text is this. Verses 12 and 13, you can look right at the passage, give us two commands, two urgent commands to be actively engaged in genuine, serious Christian fellowship. And verse 14 gives us the reason why. It's because it's a matter of life and death. So what I want to do is I want to start in verse 14 and give the reason why I say Christian fellowship is a matter of life and death. Okay, And then I want to back up and take a look at verses 12 and 13, which show us why, or show, excuse me, show us how God wants us to engage in community together in light of verse 14. Does that make sense? Okay, so why do I say life and death? Well, because of verse 14. Here's what verse 14 says. 
For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let me read that again. For we have come to share in Christ. If we hold our original confidence all the way to the end. What is very common today in our culture, in the Christian culture in America, it was what I would call is a punched ticket assurance of salvation. Right? I got my ticket punched. I remember the day I walked the aisle, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I asked Jesus into my heart. I got baptized. One of those things. I'm in. Whereas the New Testament describes, does not describe salvation in that way in the Bible. There's nothing like that in the New Testament. Of course, we might know the day we got saved, or at least we, we would say, we trusted in Christ. But the New Testament says, and continue in that, and be firm in that all the way to the end. See, there are two truths the New Testament bring out over and over and over again. One truth is Philippians 1, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm confident that if he began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. And then the other truth, which Jesus says in Matthew 24, that the one who endures to the end will be saved. Well, which is it? It is both. It's both. I remember one time uh, overhearing a conversation, a place I was at, and there was one young man who who, who who had... who who had walked away from the Lord and had not been walking with Jesus for years. I mean, a long time. And this middle-aged woman came and said, well, here's the question. You need to know this. Do you remember the time you asked Jesus into your heart? The young man said, yes, I do. She said, just always hold on to that. Just always, God remembers too. Just always hold on to that. I thought to myself, that is not what this young man needs to hear. This young man needs to hear that you have shared in Christ, past tense, if you hold that original confidence all the way to the end. So note, excuse me, notice what verse 14 says. Follow the tense of the phrases here. We have come to share in Christ, past tense. You have come to share in Christ, If you continue to the end, you have come to share in Jesus. You have been saved. You are saved now if you continue to the end. You have been saved. You are sharing in Christ if you continue to the end. It's not something that you gain and lose and gain and lose along the way. It is true past tense if you continue to the end. In other words, our salvation now that we have received in the past and we are experiencing now is confirmed as we continue in the faith. The New Testament talks in this way several places. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, in which you stand presently, and by which you are being saved presently. Then he says this, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
we have come to share in Christ. Think about what this is saying. This is an amazing phrase. We have come to share in Christ. He's saying, together, we have come to share in Christ. We are, we are celebrating. We are, we are mingling together, sharing in Christ together. This is what New Testament fellowship it is. It is a sharing in Christ together. It is a sharing in Christ, benefiting from his person and his work his death, his burial, his resurrection, sharing in the hope of his second coming. This is what New Testament fellowship is. And this is something that's experienced together. And then he says again, reiterating, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I love that he doesn't give a list of do's and don'ts. If you do this, if you don't do this, if you keep these lists of 10 or 16 or 27 or whatever rules then you will be saved. But no, if you hold your original confidence all the way to the end, you know what that means? If you continue loving Christ and prizing Christ and living for Christ and trusting in Christ and hoping in Christ, that's what it means. If you continue doing that, then you, we have shared in Christ. If Christ continues to be your hope, your treasure, your salvation, then you have shared in Christ. And we have shared in Christ together. This is kind of a a goofy example, but I thought of this yesterday, or just the other day. I think it was Friday. Our family was, we were driving, we were out in the country. And and in this field, all the the corn was, you know, all the crops were gone, so it was this wide open field. I saw this object out there, and it looked like an eagle with white head and a big body, but I wasn't sure. It was a long ways away, right? Could have been a stick, you know, could have been a stake or something a farmer put out there, painted the top white. I didn't know, but it looked like an eagle. I was like, I think that might be an eagle. Got closer, got closer, got closer, drove right next to it. I mean, it was probably 50 yards out in the field, but right by on the road. It was a bald eagle. It looked like it from a distance, and as it got closer, it was. It was Sure enough, it was. But how many times have I looked up in the sky and seen what looked like a golden eagle or a big hawk or something, and when I get closer, it's just a turkey vulture? Right? The bird didn't change. It was, as I got closer, it either confirmed that it was an eagle or a turkey vulture. You are an eagle. Let's put it this way. If as you get close, if you hold, if you, that's that, I'm not going to go there. Never mind. <laughs> trying to do this on the top of my head. That's not going to work. You have shared in Christ if you hold fast your original hope all the way to the end. We give evidence of our genuineness by continuing all the way to the end. So it's not like you you are saved and you lose it. You are saved and you give evidence along the way and then at the end it's confirmed because you held on to your original hope all the way to the end. So he will bring to completion those who God has begun a good work in and he will do it through deep and intimate fellowship with himself as we hold on to our confidence in Christ all the way to the end. Now this, I think, ups the ante 
of Christian community. So Christian community, fellowship with one another. Again, I've said this before, but it's deeper than just potlucks. That's important. That's important to do. But it's more than just that. You and I have a part to play in each other's lives to keep each other saved. And I mean that, to keep each other saved. So, how is Christian fellowship God's plan to keep us saved? Verses 12 and 13 show us. And I think it's amazing. You and I have the privilege of being part of God's saving work in each other's lives. Two commandments, one in verse 12, one in verse 13. Commandment number one in verse 12 says, Watch out for one another. This is what it basically says. Watch out for one another that no one among you falls away from God. Here's what verse 12 says. Take care, brothers, that there be, excuse me, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This starts off as a warning. Remember I said all of God's word is his love for us. It's his love for us. This is a loving warning from God our Father. And and it starts off with this, take care or be careful. Be careful. I remember when I was... uh, six or seven, maybe eight, something like that. Our family took a trip up to North Dakota one summer, and we did this every summer. But this summer was different because we, my mom, dad, and us four kids, we drove my grandparents' motor home up to North Dakota, and we drove through the Black Hills in South Dakota and stayed there a couple days. And Black Hills, it's not like, if you've ever been there, you know, it's not like these towering mountains like you see in Colorado. But before long, you can find yourself... a pretty good distance up if you're walking on a path in the hills. And one day we were walking on this trail and we were up in the hills and I was a seven or eight year old boy and so I'm I'm oblivious to danger, right? I have no clue. And I'm walking on the edge, right? This side the hill goes up. We're on this kind of gravel path and on this side it slopes down and it's not a sheer cliff but it slopes down pretty severe and falls maybe 80 to 100 feet. And I remember very specifically my dad saying, Josh, be careful. You're getting close to the edge. What do eight-year-olds do? That's ex- when he told me I was close to the edge, I was like, wow, oh my goodness. Oh, that's cool. So then I stayed close to the edge. A few minutes later, before long, my right foot slips and I fall down and I'm sliding down the embankment. And my dad comes over and grabs me and pulls me up. And he gets down eye level and says, Josh, I said, be careful. And I was after that. God's word to us in this text, because our eternal life depends on it, he says, take care. Be careful. Lest there be any among you who has an evil, unbelieving heart that leads him to fall away from the living God. And then verse 13 describes this further when it uses the phrase that people can become hardened 
by the deceitfulness of sin. So here's the thing. We need each other to do this. We need each other to watch out for each other. Verse 12 and the second part of verse 13 give us a sober reminder of the downward spiral of sin. Sin starts in the heart of unbelief. The heart of unbelief falls for the deception of sin, which when persisted in hardens the heart until one falls away from God. Starts with unbelief. Ends with falling away from God. J.C. Ryle, a minister in England in the 1800s, said, First, sin startles a man. Then it becomes pleasing. Then easy. Then delightful. Then frequent. Then habitual. Then confirmed. Then the man is impenitent or unrepentant. Then obstinate. Then he resolves never to repent. And then he is damned. So we must be watchful. Alyssa and I used to have a a dear dear friend. And we were talking recently. Dear friends. And the husband has gone AWOL. And it happened over time. But Alyssa and I were talking recently. He's like, oh my goodness. Of everyone we've ever known, back 10 years ago, we would have never thought this happened to them. We would have never thought that this man would have left his wife in such a dishonoring way and abandoned his family in such a dishonoring way. And what happened? It started small and grew and grew and grew. And he found himself out of fellowship, out of intimate, deep fellowship with other believers. And he fell away from God. His story's not complete yet, but he has fallen away from God. So we must be watchful. Look at the phrases used in these verses. First, evil, unbelieving heart. Literally, it literally means evil heart of unbelief. It's a heart of unbelief. The writer of Hebrews describes an evil heart as a heart of unbelief. I think unbelief actually gets to the essence or core of what sin is. Underneath every sin is unbelief. Behind every sin is unbelief. Either because you are believing a lie or because you are disbelieving the truth. There's a song that's uh, called Speak, O Lord. And there's a line from the song that says this, Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. God's words of power that can never fail. And we should pray that they always prevail in our lives and in each other's lives over unbelief. Now we know that faith or belief is more than just cognitive assent. It's more than just having a run or list of doctrines that we can affirm. Right? Yes, I know that I 
have sinned against God. I've fallen short of his glory. Yes, I know that, that those who don't repent go to hell forever. Yes, I know that Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins. He's the son of God. He rose again. I'm saved, right? It's more than, than that. It, it includes that. That's, that's very important. But it's more than that. It is our, it's having our hearts engaged. It's having our hearts inflamed by these truths. Second, Second Thessalonians says that, that there's people at the end of time that they will be, that God will judge them. You know why? Not because they didn't know the truth. It's because they didn't love the truth. So it's knowing the truth and it's loving the truth. That's saving faith. The essence of faith is a heart that believes and prizes and treasures all that God is for us in Christ. So when we go back and what are we, what are we to hold on to firm to the end? Our original confidence, assurance, our original hope in Jesus. Next phrase, leading you to fall away from the living God. Wherever our heart is, we will be led. You know that, don't you? Whatever has your heart has you. Because the heart is the command control center of you. So an evil, unbelieving heart, where else is it going to go but away from God? The last words of this chapter in Hebrews chapter 3 Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3 talks about the, the obstinance and the disobedience of the people of Israel and how God, God judged them and God says, you will never enter the promised land because of your disobedience. But then the last verse of this chapter says they were not able to enter the promised land because of unbelief. I think what he's saying is that underneath unbelief, excuse me, underneath disobedience and rebellion is unbelief which causes us to fall away from God. God had promised to care for them and to be their God, but they were faithless toward him, forsaking him with hearts of unbelief. Next phrase is the deceitfulness of sin. Do you guys know that sin is sneaky? The deceitfulness of sin. Sin is misleading when unbelief prevails over God's truth, we are susceptible to deception. I remember a time when, um, a few summers ago, we, we had a couple young 18, 19-year-old kids. Apparently, they, it was their summer break. They had a summer job. I put job in quotes. Ended up being a scam. But anyways, summer job, and they were selling magazines. And they came to our door, and they were selling these you know, selling all these magazines. I mean, Christian magazines, Sports Illustrated, all these different magazines. And, <clears throat> and they're selling, <clears throat> excuse me, very cheap. And they were kids supposedly from inner cities, uh, in, you know, from poorer families and poor neighborhoods that this, this business owner hired in the summer, paid them well to sell magazines. And I said, okay, I'll buy some magazines. I think I ended up buying, you pay all, you pay all of it up front, I think I paid $200 for like three magazines for a whole year. Ended up being a scam, right? My emotions were tugged. It seemed like a good deal, but it was a deception. It was a lie. I never got my magazines. 
That's what sin is like. It's deceiving, right? We can live more on our emotions than on God's truth. Sin is very deceiving. Ephesians 4.22 says, Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Reason why sin is so deceitful is because we have, de- we have deceitful desires that are part of our old man. And if we're not careful to put that off, then it feels so right and feels so good. And then when sin has persisted in over time, it hardens us. It hardens us. At one time, our conscience was chastened by sin, by looking at that magazine or by watching that movie or by whatever it may have been. We were once chastened, we were convicted, but now we have become calloused and hardened and it doesn't even affect us anymore. Our outburst of anger doesn't affect us anymore. We have, we have justified it. We have grown hard in our hearts. So we need each other. <clears throat> so we need to take care. That's what the writer's saying to us. Take care. I think he said, take care, brothers and sisters. Be true friends. Take care. Care for one another in this kind of way that there's not any among you who has an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God because it's a matter of eternal life and death. But he gives us another command. Command number two is in verse 13. And this is a command to encourage one another daily in the gospel. It says this, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. I think the New American Standard, maybe the NIV as well says, encourage one another. Encourage one another, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. If what we have come into in salvation is a sharing in Christ, and if what we are told to hold on to is our original confidence firm to the end, and if what threatens us is a heart of unbelief, and if this leads us to fall away from God, then what we need is to be encouraged day after day after day after day after day in the gospel in the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what protects us. As we reminded over and over and over again, see, the Christian faith is not like the Gospels, the ABCs, and then you graduate on to the really deep stuff. The Gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. It's the A to Z. I once heard somebody say, the most important word in the New Testament is, remember! Remember! And I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Why do we need to be encouraged every day? Because we are faced with sin every day, temptation every day. Because we, unbelief threatens us every day. We need to be reminded every day 
Sin is deceitful every single day. Every advertisement on the television is trying to pull you into some kind of deceitful desire that's part of your old man. So encourage one another every day in Christ, in the gospel. What you and I need is the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, along with the writer of Hebrews, wants us to do this. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 1. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's okay to keep talking about it. I'm going to remind you of this. It's, it's okay for me, and it's safe for you. It's no problem for me. It's good for you. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these things, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So here's how this works. God saves by his gracious work, by his grace, through faith, we have come to share in Christ, and God ensures that we will be preserved all the way to the end in saving faith. But how does he do this? Through Christian fellowship. Through Christian community. Through taking care to watch out for one another. That no one has an evil, unbelieving heart leading them to fall away from the living God. But rather, in exhorting one another day after day, as long as it's called today. By the way, when it says, as long as it's called today, what does he mean by that? How long is today going to be called today? I mean, how long is the day we're presently in going to be called today? Until you die. Right? Does that make sense? Did I say that right? I think I said that right. When we, when we reach tomorrow, it'll be today. When we reach a week from today, it'll be today. So encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. This is something you and I need to the end of our lives. That we may reach the end holding our original confidence firm to the end. Not having a ticket punched. Holding our confidence in Christ all the way to the end. You have an important part to play in the salvation of your brothers and sisters. The finished work of Jesus Christ purchased it. God will ensure that it will be done in the end, but you and I play a part in helping each other reach the end, reach the end confident in Christ. So, <clears throat> practically, what do we say to someone caught in the bonds of unforgiveness and bitterness? Someone who is, 
who is sucked into the deceitfulness of sin, the sin of unforgiveness. Jesus said, if you don't forgive someone else, you won't be forgiven. What do we do? We give them the gospel. We say, don't you know that you are to forgive because of the massive forgiveness that has been extended to you through Christ? You owed God an insurmountable debt you could never have paid back. And Jesus took it on himself, ransomed you by paying your debt, and now your slate is clean. So forgive those who have wronged you. What about those going through deep, painful trial? Have you ever heard someone say something like, I mean, someone who was a church-going person, had belief in God, maybe even would say that they were Christians, after going through something very hard, say, if God allowed this to happen, I just don't know if I can ever trust him again. What's happening? I mean, it's painful. It's not, they don't need a rebuke at that moment, but what's happening? They, if they continue in that, a heart of unbelief falling away from God. What do they need to hear? Hold on. You will get through this. You will get through this. This is not the end of your story. Christ holds your, holds your future in his hand. That's what they need to hear. Hold on to Christ. What about those who are caught in a cycle of fear and anxiety? What about those caught in some kind of addiction of drugs or alcohol or pornography? What about those who are stuck in a cycle of anger and rage? They need the gospel. They need the good news of Jesus Christ. They need to hear of what God has done in Christ to rescue them. And they need to have, they need to be brought back to that, that place where they originally put their confidence and trust and hope in Christ and can, excuse me, continue in that. And what about a mother of several young children? And she isn't sure her life counts for anything except for changing diapers and cleaning up vomit, and all the other things that are attendant with mothers of young children. What about mothers who aren't sure how they're going to get through to the end of the week with their sanity intact? We say to them, look to Christ. Look to Jesus. He is your hope and salvation. His calling upon your life is priceless. It is precious. It is massively important. What about the mother who has a grown child and is grieving that their child is no longer walking with Jesus or never has? We need to encourage them. We need to speak words of life to them. We need to exhort them day after day, as long as it is called today so that no one is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, so that no one has a heart of unbelief and falls away from God. 
We need each other. We need each other. No um, Lone Ranger Christianity, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. We are not like Rambo, right? I think I shared this at a men's retreat a couple years ago. We're not like Rambo. You got, you, know, you got Rambo out there. He's taking on the opposing army by himself. He's got a machine gun. He's got a big knife. He's, it's just him. In real life, Rambo doesn't last five minutes. And in real life, the Christian who thinks he's a Rambo doesn't last long either. We are more like a band of brothers doing life together, watching each other's back. I'm sorry, ladies. <laughs> you just got caught. You just got in on this this military analogy here, but band of brothers and sisters watching each other's back, taking care to watch each other and speaking words of life to each other. Let's commit to this. No casual approach to Christian community. No, if it's convenient, maybe this is life and death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that in your love and concern for us, your children, you warn us to be careful and to care for one another in this way. And you even, I mean, mean, this, this is, this is a challenge. This is challenging for us especially in our culture in America where we prize rugged individualism and where we can have hundreds of friends on social media but hardly any face-to-face friends. God, help us to go further and deeper in human, face-to-face, New Testament, koinonia fellowship where we love each other, forgive each other, serve each other, are honest with each other. We want to be together and we feel this deep need for each other and see it as a matter of life and death. By your grace, God, I pray you would do this. Father, I thank you again for the mothers here. And God, if there's any here today, anyone here today who has fallen away from you, who just seems to be drifting, maybe I put it that way, seems to be drifting, God, I pray that this would be a timely word for them and they would hear the word of hope in Christ. Return. Return. I'm better than that. I'm better than whatever you are believing, whatever lie you're believing. I'm better. I'm more satisfying. I'm a greater treasure than anything this world can give you. Come back and find your soul satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and presents you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time.
and now and forever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.